Praise the Lord. Amen. Shall we pray together? Our Father, we so appreciate you tonight for the gift of life, for the peace we enjoy. Thank you so much for the love of Christ. Thank you for the privilege to be part of the family of the beloved. Thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our salvation, and we thank you for your high priest role. Continue to intercede for us and on our behalf. Even tonight, we commit our fellowship into your hands, and we ask that you speak to us. We ask that your word will come with understanding and with liberty, that you release unto us, O God, the fullness of your power and all that you have ordained for us to receive tonight, both on-site and online. We receive them in the name of Jesus Christ. We said you sent forth your word and you healed our diseases. You sent forth your word and you set us at liberty. You said your word will accomplish its purpose. It shall not return unto you void. So we pray, God, that every purpose is in your heart tonight. It shall be fulfilled on our behalf in the name of Jesus. Thank you, our Lord, for answered prayer. In Jesus' name, we have prayed with thanksgiving. Amen. We thank God for the privilege to fellowship with you tonight on this communion preparation evening. We are going to have a two nights of meeting together, or two evenings. And I'm supposed to be speaking on the topic, Take Up Your Cross Daily. And follow me. I would like to read a couple of passages. Um, I will start with First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one, and I will read verse seventeen and eighteen. It would have been very good to continue to read to verse 25, but for lack of time, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17, and stop at 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is fully to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I would like to speak tonight on the, the essence of the cross or what actually is the cross. Um, the way I divided the, the topic is tonight to look at what the cross means, especially as it regards the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the aspects of the cross? that concerns Christ. And tomorrow, by God's grace, we will now look at 
how the cross concerns you and I, and how do we daily walk bearing our own cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to first start tonight by a basic understanding of what the cross is not and what the cross is and how did we come about that Jesus Christ had to be crucified on the cross at Calvary. And Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, was setting up that his main commission was to preach the gospel and to preach it in such a simple way that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its power. So what that already sets before us, if God helps us tonight and tomorrow, is to try not to gain academic knowledge about the cross because that's what I'm begging God not to do as a professor who stands to lecture. Sometimes we, we will be touching uh, the theological aspects of the issue. We will be imparting head knowledge. And that's not what we want to study. The prayer I'm praying, which you need to pray for yourself, is in this verse 17, that there is power in the cross, as far as Paul is concerned. The cross of Christ carries power to me, to me, womb. And it's my prayer for you and also for me that we will experience in these two days, we will touch the power that is in the cross. And Paul was saying that because men have tried to preach the gospel or they've tried to preach the cross and the way they have preached it, they have shrouded the simplicity of the cross in so sophisticated, complicated, educated language that it does not allow the power that is in the cross to be manifest. So that people go to meetings, people go to hear so many people. There are a lot of conferences and a lot of, uh, you know, revival programs. So much, many, many well-known men of God. People have written and spoken about the cross before Paul and after Paul, even during the time of Paul, that they preach in such a way that people did not touch the reality of the cross. They went back home excited. They went back home sometimes sorrowful. People cried because, uh, you know, when you watch the, the, the Passion the movie, when you, during Easter, you hear about how Jesus died, uh, sometimes you can weep, you can cry. Uh, so, but the tears is not the power. Some people also, you know, the whole thing becomes uh, an argument and they begin to debate and, you know, People are looking for science and people are looking for, for, for knowledge. Paul was actually dividing the population to the Greeks and the Jews, some seeking for knowledge, some seeking for high-sounding things to hear, some new things, and others seeking for some kind of uh, signs and miracles. But Paul is saying that 
he decided that by God's grace, he will preach the gospel with words of simple, simple, in a simple language, not in the eloquent of human wisdom, in such a way that the cross of Christ may not be emptied of its power. So the first lesson I want us to pick is that there is power in the cross. If you can help me tell your neighbor, there is power in the cross of Christ. Because I think that's what Paul is saying, isn't he? He says, lest what? It should not be made what? Of no effect. So, this translation is means that what? The cross has an effect. So, if the cross, God helps me, and I'm able to discharge what is the burden that is in my heart, then you cannot go home the same as you came. You, you must be affected. There must be an effect on your life. Anytime the cross is properly preached, without the eloquence of human wisdom, and it comes with understanding, and the prince of this world does not blind the eyes of people so that they will not understand, people cannot go back the same. There are four dimensional effects of the cross that when it's properly preached, it releases and delivers the hearers from sin. If the cross is properly preached and understood, people will be saved. Those who are struggling with sin in the church, they will be delivered from the power of sin. Number one. Number two, the second effect of the cross is that if it's properly preached and well understood and believed, it would deliver people from the flesh, the power of the flesh. Number three, if the cross is properly preached, the power in the cross, the effect is to deliver people from the world. And number four, it would deliver them from the power of Satan. So at least, we must be looking for an effect from this revival program that the preaching of the cross will bring an effect. Deliver from sin, deliver from the power of Satan, deliver from the world, deliver from the flesh. May the Lord do so for us in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying that the word of the cross, which in other translations means the preaching of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But unto us who are being saved, what is it? It is what? The power of God. Again, it means that the word of the cross, I will be talking about five aspects of the cross if God gives me grace tonight. Maybe I may touch about three or two and we can continue tomorrow. But Paul is saying that for us who are being saved, and I believe all those of us who are listening to the message tonight, the word of the cross, the preaching of the cross of Christ, is not foolishness. Others may laugh at it. I've had a lot of discussions with colleague professors, 
with some uh, people who belong to other religious faiths. And whenever you talk about the matter of the cross, uh, sometimes they can laugh. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to them. It's actually foolishness unto them. Sometimes they get offended, actually. Sometimes they think it looks too simple. They think a professor like you should not be, be saying things like that. I've been so embarrassed outside the country when I talking to colleague professors uh, in Germany and I thought that I was trying to speak about the gospel and they said, ah, I thought you are, <laughs> they, thought that <laughs> they thought that I am above this. <laughs> they think that there's something more sophisticated, more glorious than believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the salvation of the world. And yet Paul is saying that, yet it may look foolishness, it may look foolishness unto people, but for us, it's what? It's the power of God. Which again, confirms verse 17, that there is power in the word of the cross. So even tonight and tomorrow evening, we can experience power. God can release unto us power from the simple preaching of the cross tonight. And as we would like to first look at the first aspect of the cross that the scripture, many of the passages that Paul wrote, most of them written by Paul, is about um, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And several scriptures emphasize the fact that Jesus Christ actually did die on the cross. And we need to look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, as the first aspect of the cross I would like to talk about. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Philippians 2, 8, it says, and be found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, here Paul is establishing that Jesus Christ came into this world to die. And he died on the cross. It's a fact and it's historical. They did not shoot him. He did not die in the hospital. He did not die from any other cause. He died, hanged on the tree, on the cross at Calvary, once upon a time. And this is a fact. We will be looking at the effect of that on our personal lives by God's grace tomorrow. But tonight, we want to establish the, what is the cross. The facts is that when we talk about the cross, we are talking about death death of the Savior, Jesus Christ, 
on the cross, which eventually, as we look at it tomorrow, will be our own death as well, when we now begin to, to talk about how does the death of Jesus Christ, how does it concern me, and how do I carry my own cross daily, my own death daily. But Jesus Christ died on the cross. He humbled himself to that issue. And Isaiah chapter 53 uh, is a passage that we may not have time to read all, but right from verse 1 all the way to the end, it enumerates all the issues about the death of Jesus Christ. God laid on him the sin, all of us, our sin. And he was bruised and he died eventually on the cross. And Paul said to the Philippians, that by experiencing this death and becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted him. That at the mention of his name, the name that God has given to him, because of the cross that he has gone through, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess him as Lord. We will come to that tomorrow. But what does this death of the cross mean to Jesus Christ? First, it means suffering. The cross was actually the means of dealing and punishing the most grievous sinner. That the one that they find very, very, very troublesome, they find very offensive, that the whole society says this is a criminal there's somebody that we don't want to have him in the community, in the society at all, they must hang him on the cross outside the camp. So Jesus Christ is suffered. It was a very painful death when he would have to die on the cross. He was punished on that cross. He hanged on the cross, nailed, and then he died. He gave up the ghost. So it means suffering. Second, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross also means shame. It was a public display that the Son of God, whom God has said a few days earlier, that this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The men decided that crucify him. And they decided to take him all the way from the Garden of Gethsemane, all through the streets, few days before, he had entered sitting on the donkey, the asshole donkey, and they say, Hosanna, 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 and the people were shouting, and then the enemies came and said, keep quiet. Why are you glorifying this man? And say, well, even if they keep quiet, the stones would what? Would begin to shout and praise me, and these people decided that they would not want to, they want to silence this, and then they did everything. Actually, in John chapter 12, when some Greeks came to look for him, he himself predicted that he must drink the cup that God has offered. For this cause, he came. But when he experienced it, it was so shameful. And when we are looking at it tomorrow by God's grace, you will see that for anybody to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to have experienced his own death according to the death on the Jesus Christ on the cross, he also will suffer shame. That's why Moses 
in Hebrews said that what? He know, when he came of age, he decided to what? To leave Egypt. Isn't it? To go and suffer what? Shame and suffer the reproach. What? With Jesus Christ. Which meant that for a Christian even to choose to be a disciple, to follow Christ, to carry your cross, according to this word, it is shameful. Because Jesus Christ was put to shame publicly, almost naked, and hanged on the cross. And everybody was saying, Ah, is he not the one who says he's the Son of God? Is he not the one who opened the eyes of the blind? Why is he not able to save himself? Even the two uh, people that were on his left and his right, they began to debate. And one of them said, But if he, can, he cannot do anything, and this one said, Why are you talking like that? Shut up. I understand. Well, if you go into your glory, remember me. But you can see that the whole thing was shameful. But let us note, Hebrews chapter 12 also will give us uh, an additional reference. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Hebrews 12 2. We are looking at the first aspect of the cross. Hebrews 12 2 says that looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is saying that the cross had to be endured. It was not fun for Jesus to die on the cross. He had to suffer and he had to endure it. Few hours before, he was in Gethsemane and he was sweating as unto blood and he was asking the Father, if there's any other way and if he pleases you, let this cup pass over me. Let this death on the cross, let's find another way. Can I escape it? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was already foreseeing the pain and the shame of going through that moment, even though it was his will. Even though he said, for this purpose came I. I came to die on the cross. But it was not, it was not a joke. That's why we need to appreciate Jesus. That's why our salvation is so costly. That's why if somebody has experienced salvation, nothing else matters. It's actually a cheat. It's actually cheat. It's robbery. Not to appreciate what Jesus Christ went through and to be able to offer your body as a living sacrifice for him. That's the least we can do. That he will see the, the, the resource of his suffering and he will be glad that at least I did not die in vain. There are people who have experienced salvation and who have appreciated it by what? Also giving themselves as a living sacrifice and propagating the gospel so that many others will not be lost. That's why we don't need to beg people for offering. That's why we don't need to push people to go for evangelism or to be missionaries or to do the work of God. That's why it is nothing if you resign your job and you go into full-time ministry or you go to preach in Ukraine or in Russia. You're actually doing a good job. Because Jesus Christ, he paid so much. He endured the cross. 
and he despised the shame. Again, meaning that the cross was shameful, but he has to despise it because of the joy that was set before him when he was looking at the future. And as he went through that, he resurrected. And therefore, God has raised him to glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, and given a name that is above every other name, that at the mention of his name, every knee now shall bow, and every tongue must confess. So, as the first thing we will study here is that the cross represents death. So, when we come to tomorrow by God's grace, we will look at how does the cross represent death to you and to me. Because except the man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because the life that we are born with, it must also die. And we need to receive a new life from the Father. The old must go for the new to come, and it must be through the same cross. But that will be the application of what we are studying tonight. But the cross is not the way people are talking about it. Let me take a moment. The cross is not, uh, is not the wearing of crosses. Actually, the wearing of those crosses, those ornaments, uh, and the adoration of it, and the bowing down to those things is a mistake. It's a great mistake. The, the making fetish of those things is actually a terrible thing. And I don't think we should, we should do it at all. It is not those things. And the cross is not uh, the way people talk about it. For if you go and marry some uh, beautiful, uh, useless girl, and uh, it's now troubling you at home, you say, that's your own cross. No, that's not what we're talking about. When somebody is struggling, they say, that's your own cross. Bear it. It's not that kind of language we are talking about. The cross is not people's suffering. It's not people's uh, punishment. If somebody goes to make some useless statement and they go and imprison him, they say, well, that's his cross. That's not what we are talking about. We are now talking about cross. First aspect is death. And it first the death of Jesus Christ. That's how he died. The second aspect of the cross, which we will need to look at before we come to application, is the blood. The blood of his cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Colossians 1, 20. Oh, it says, and through him, let me read from, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, here the cross is being applied to the blood and peace and reconciliation can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is effected through his death on the cross. You can go back to the Old Testament in uh, Exodus chapter 12. You know what happened. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And without the blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And because of the sin of this world, right from Adam, all the way, there was no way to establish peace between God and man, except by the blood. And there was nobody fit 
qualify who could stand as a substitute and who could be a mediator between God and man except the Lord Jesus Christ and who was ready and willing and capable and qualified to shed his own blood. And the blood of bulls and goats were not qualified according to the scriptures. So only Jesus Christ who was by his conception and birth did not carry the seed of Adam. He is the second Adam that is not carrying the sinful nature, the flesh that could qualify. And who also was he lived here in all those 30 years the devil did not have anything of his in him. He tempted him at all points and yet without sin. So he was perfect and holy by birth and by life for 30 years. Such was the only man among all men that could qualify to stand as mediator between sinful world and the holy God and by the death on the cross, his blood can be... That is why they needed his blood. That's why the blood itself has its own ministry. But the ministry of the blood can only come, and by God's grace tomorrow we will look at what does that mean for the believer. But for now we know that there is the cross, the blood of his cross. The blood that issued out because he hanged on the cross. As they nailed him on the cross, blood came. As they put the crown on his head, blood came. And that blood has a ministry in the life of every believer. It has an effect. It carries power. And we will need to experience the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. But we must first understand that the power can only come by the cross because one agreed to die on the cross. Praise the Lord. The third thing we would like to look at by God's grace, the aspect of the cross, is what Paul was now beginning to talk in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, which is the word of the cross. The word of the cross. And Paul had said that Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, say, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the word of God, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross, which is the proclamation of what happened at Calvary, the preaching of the cross is another aspect of the cross, and that's what I'm trying to do tonight. If Jesus died on the cross, and blood came from his death, it will be of no effect, there will be no power, Unless it is preached to the world. If people will not hear the preaching of the cross, they will not be saved. They will remain in their sin. They will continue to be slaves to sin. They will continue to be under the flesh and controlled by the flesh. They will continue to be under the influence and the power and the love of this world. And the loss of it and all the things that are in the world. They will be in church but they will be very fashionable, very worldly. They will be living like, uh, like, like the whole world. There will be no difference. They will love worldly music, love worldly entertainment, worldly pleasure. There will be no difference between them and those girls on the street and those boys on the street. There will be no difference between our musicians and the people that are following the, the popular 
uh, Rastafarian musicians of hip, hip life musicians of this world. Because they have not experienced the power and the deliverance that comes from the proclamation of the cross. Unfortunately, that's what has happened to many believers. For me, for example, growing up in a Christian home, baptized, devotion, grown up in the Methodist church, become an organist, play organ, wear choir robe, all the way in those things, all the way to university, I had not experienced the power in the proclamation of the word of the cross. So we call ourselves Christians, but we were struggling with sin. We were struggling with the flesh. We were struggling and weak under the power and the control of Satan. He was just pushing us left, right, down. We are not able to sleep. We are afraid, afraid to die. We are controlled by all evil spirit, demons. We are, we are just weak as anybody else. And we come to church. We take uh, all the hymns. We go through the routine religious activities. We had never experienced the cross. It continued like that for years. And anytime we read the Bible and you check your own personal experience, you see that something is wrong somewhere. You look at the whole Bible becomes theoretical. When you look at your life, you are weak. The Bible says, let the weak say, I'm strong. You are saying it, but you are not strong. All the things we are, you are supposed to be saved from sin, we are living in sin on a daily basis. Confessing and going back to it. Addictions here and there. Addicted to pornography, masturbating, fornicating, stealing, lying, unfaithfulness, all sorts of things. Christian couples are fighting, quarreling on a weekly, daily basis. Elders in the church, deacons, quarreling on a daily basis. Some have so even divorced, even to remarry. Still sitting in the church, you are asking, what is this? And the only reason is that they have been unfortunate. They have not experienced all that Jesus did. Because someone asked to tell them. You see, when the Ethiopian Enoch, very interesting. He had traveled all the way from Ethiopia. He had gone for a crusade or a religious program somewhere in Jerusalem or so. And he's on his way coming back. In a meditating and reading Isaiah 53. Reading it, his mind, the, an understanding was covered. He could not experience the power that is in that scripture, that passage, which many of us do have read since we were children. Isaiah 53, we have read it all the time. Easter, they read it all the time. The seven, le- how many lessons? Uh, is it seven or nine lessons? No, we have gone through all that. We have watched the movie. How many times have you watched the movie? How many times have you seen display about how Jesus died here and there? The man was blind. When the Holy Spirit helped Philip to join him in the chariot, say, understand that which you read. Say, how can I? How can I understand? Except somebody what? Will show me. Somebody must explain this to me. And unfortunately, that's many Christians. That was my own problem. Until I came to discipleship, that was my own problem. I struggled as a lecturer, I struggled. And I was looking for the truth. I was looking to experience the power, the effect. And I did not understand. Until somebody has to open my eyes. It came as revelation. The gospel must be revealed. The power in it must come to you as, as, an, as a revelation. God must open the eyes of your understanding. The enemy does very serious things whenever we are preaching the gospel. He blinds the eyes of the people. 
that they will not see the gospel. They will not be able to experience the light and the power that is in it. Let, let, let the enemy not cheat you tonight or tomorrow. Because many people, that's their struggle. They are ready to go through the routine, but either they don't have a preacher who is preaching it truthfully and correctly because he has covered it with eloquence of wisdom, which many people sometimes when you listen to some preachers, you, they are just doing display of Greek and Aramaic and Latin and talking many, many, many things which will not save anybody. And if you are in such church, you are just unfortunate. But there are some people also, the minister is preaching, but something is wrong with their heart. Their heart is not a good heart. It's either a wayside heart, a stony heart, or thorns, so that even when the word of God comes, it doesn't take root to be able to bring forth fruit. So I pray that you are praying for your heart. But if the heart is correct and the minister is doing his work and Satan is bound and not able to cover your understanding, then you will see that the power that comes from it, you will just surrender your life and you will just be delivered from all the issues that you are going through. In fact, there is even healing in this same blood. Because by his stripes, we are what? We were healed. Again, on the same cross, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that must be our experience. So that third aspect of the cross is about the preaching. And that is what Paul was talking about even when it comes to um, 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at that um, a bit before 2 Corinthians 5. I will look at verse um, maybe Verse 18. If I can, um, tomorrow I will touch on the effect, so I don't want to talk about effect. But verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The message. is talking about the message of the cross. is what reconciles men back to God. And you see tomorrow that that is one of our, our ministry. Everybody who has experienced the cross needs to go and preach it. It's not the work for few people. If you're a teacher, you're a banker, whatever you are, it is your duty now to go every sinner you see as a problem with God. There's an issue with God. The E and God, they are loggerheads. He's an enemy of God. And the rod of God is on his neck. And he needs to be reconciled back to God. And we need somebody who will go and proclaim the word of the cross to him and the message of the cross and be able to what? To reconcile him. And that's what he's talking about here as the message of what? Of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be what? Reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me go to the fourth aspect, which is the talking about the offense that comes 
protocol, which is one of the reasons why we don't want, people don't want to be Christians, or people who are Christians are ashamed to identify with Christ or to preach the gospel. The death of the cross, on the cross, the blood of his cross, the word of his cross, which is the preaching and the proclamation of the truth, and also now the fourth is the offense, offense, which we can see in Galatians chapter 5 verse 11. Galatians 5.11 says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What Paul is saying is that if it was about circumcision, circumcision avails nothing. It's a new creation that matters. In the Old Testament, people had to be circumcised to be able to identify with God. When David saw the Goliath, he said, that uncircumcised Philistine, because he's an uncircumcised Philistine, he's not a child of God. All the people that were not circumcised on the way from Egypt to the, had to be circumcised. But in the New Testament, circumcision avails nothing. Except the new creation, regeneration, being born again, is what matters. And that's what Paul was preaching. And that can only come by the preaching of the cross. It's not legalism, it's not do's and don'ts and don't do that and that, and that's not the issue. It's not about whether you are Greek or you are Jew or whether you are male or female. No. Are you born again? Are you a new creation? And if you are a new creation, how did you come by it? It's very wonderful. When you, I met a student came to me for counseling yesterday, and I said, go and write a one-page statement, autobiography about yourself. Tell me about your Christian life. How did it begin? And whether you are born again or not, and how did you get born again? And what is the evidence? Uh, please, can you write this like an essay? You can all go and write it. If you like, give it to pastor or give it to me. But this, uh, everybody should be able to answer it too, because we'll answer it when we meet Jesus Christ. Are you one of my own? How? When? What is the evidence? This is like a project, isn't it? Hmm? There are three questions, isn't it? Are you hmm, a new creation? Are you born again? Isn't it? How did it happen? When? What shows for? And he sent it to me today. Very interesting. Very interesting. Do you know that many people are not able to answer such questions? I've seen pastors answer that question that where, you know, uh, I was baptized when I was five years, so I'm born again. I've seen people say, oh, I was born into a Christian home and I've always been a Christian. I've seen people say, I went to crusade and then they did altar call and I also went, so I'm born again. And what is the evidence? They are not able to show. And how did it happen? They are not able to tell. And so people don't even understand what it means to be born again. They are not sure. And they are not able to, to write it. Somebody just wrote one sentence, one, one line. For such four, <laughs> four in one question. One line. If you are examined, you write that at BC, you think you'll get a pass. Which then means that he did not understand. So that is the question that Paul was dealing with here. 
that whilst he was going about preaching the cross, in fact, when he went to uh, one town in Galatia, in, uh, I think, was it in um, uh, Athens? In Athens, they call him a babbler. They say he was saying what? Some strange things to their ears. They serve all other gods and they name every other gods and they say, that babbler, that babbler, what is he saying? Then they called him to the Areopagus to come and to say the kind of things he's talking about. What was he talking about? He said, these things are not hidden from you, isn't it? These are the things that happen right in here. Even your poet have written about it. Jesus Christ, that on the cross. And they, they were laughing. Some of them, they actually laughed, isn't it? Many didn't believe. It was funny to them in Athens. And some believed and became disciples. When he stand before uh, Agrippa in Acts 26 or so, again he was telling Agrippa, they were asking, what, you are saying some strange, what are you saying? He said, well, I'm not saying any strange things. You know me. You know what I used to do. I was the way I was persecuting all these believers. Until on the way to Damascus, I experienced the power in the cross. I am one of the people that jailed and crucified and supervised the persecution of the Christians. I thought all of these people are crazy, fanatics. But that fateful day, something happened to me. I heard a voice. I was knocked down by the power of the cross. And a voice said, why, why do you persecute me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And I said, I am Christ, the one that you are crucifying. And you are kicking against the prick. You hurt yourself. And actually, you were ordained for such things to preach this news. And you are actually fighting against what you are ordained to preach. And from there, I have started to preach this cross. Because God took me from my mother's womb for this purpose. I have not hidden it. And this is what I'm preaching. And as you spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke, Agrippa said, you almost, you almost made me a Christian. But I will not. <laughs> And there are many, many people who are almost Christians in the church because they have not experienced the power of the cross. They are in the church, but they are almost Christians. Agrippa heard and said, you almost, you almost, almost make me a Christian. And Paul said, I don't want you just to be a Christian. <laughs> I want all of you, <laughs> the whole family, the whole world to be Christian. Accept this change. I pray that you will be a true, true Christian in the name of Jesus Christ. But as Paul was preaching, people were now beginning to attack him. And he said, no, I'm not talking about preaching circumcision. If it was about circumcision, then the offense of the cross would have been removed. Which then means that there's an offense in preaching the cross. There's an offense in associating with the cross. There's an offense that Jesus had to endure. Shame. Public ridicule. And have you not been ridiculed before if you are a true Christian? In your office, are people not ridiculing you? Or sometimes are you not, something say you should not even identify with Christ? Sometimes if you are even going for a public uh, Christian program, you have to say you are going for a seminar. Because you know people will say, ah, why every time you live in the office, you say you are going for a program, all this program, why don't you have anything serious to do? Are people not taking you for granted because you are being a Christian? Sometimes when you dress like a Christian sister, don't people laugh at you as if you're a village girl because you are not dressing with half-nakedness and showing everything? If you are trying to be a gentleman and you will not accept bribe or pay bribe, don't they take you to be a fool? So, are there not times when to be a correct Christian, actually you are subject to public ridicule? 
to be a professor and say that I'm, I'm responding to the call of God, for you to resign your job and say, I want to go and preach the gospel as a missionary, won't your family even think you're out of your mind? Won't, will police clap for you? So there are many, many things that the devil has done that makes it difficult. That's why Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me. Something I find is so difficult. I went and preached in a, on the campus about three weeks ago, and I sensed that people needed to respond. I gave an altar call, and people would not come. Three people came. I prayed for them. I left. The people were now chasing me to the car. Somebody came and said, uh, you know, the hospital, the thing was saying, I should come, I should come, but I didn't come. I said, why did you not come? I said, I was ashamed. I said, ah, what is shameful about this? You are living in sin. Jesus stands here and says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You are struggling with an addiction. You are fornicating. You are addicted to pornography. The gospel has come clearly to you. There's an opportunity for you to come so that they can, you can be prayed for and led to Christ to accept him or rededicate your life to Christ. What is shameful about it? If Shatawale was here or if Stoneboy was here, or if some, will somebody be ashamed to come and put money here or to come and shake him or take a photograph with him? So why would people be ashamed to even get up and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior? Why would people be ashamed to say, I am a Christian? It's because of the offense of the cross. So I want you to know that as we look at the effect, which we are already discussing tomorrow, to carry your cross daily requires that you are dead to the world. You are dead to shame. You are despised the shame. And you don't care what people think. If people follow or they don't follow, you will still follow Jesus. You have decided to live for Jesus. Come what me. And you live your life publicly. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me here before men, I also what? I will be ashamed of you when I appear before my Father in glory. May the Lord help us as we try to conclude. Tonight, what again shall we look at, finally, as the fifth aspect of the cross? Hebrews chapter, um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, and then I would like to be drawing to a close. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, and it says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We'll look at this tomorrow when we are looking at the, the, our own personal application. But what I wanted to talk about here, we are talking about the, the glory in the cross. Even though the cross has an offense and to the world it is shame. For us who are being saved, it is glorious. It's a glory. So we boast in the cross. We can what? We can boast in the death of Jesus Christ. We know what the death of Jesus Christ has done for me. We testify. Paul say, this is a faithful saying, and it is it's worthy of our acceptation. Christ Jesus, what? Came to save sinners. He died for sinners. Of which I am what? I am the first Primus and Paris. I am the first of all sinner. What is your own story about how Jesus Christ's death has delivered you? And how glorious do you find the, the death of Jesus? 
How can you boast for being a child of God, for being a Christian? That's the glory. That is the boasting aspect of the cross. The cross is something to boast about. Jesus Christ did not shake from it. He actually was ready to face it. And as he faced it gloriously, and he resurrected on the third day, he is now seated in glory with God, Jesus Christ. So we are going to be praying on these few issues. First, the cross. It has to do with the cross of his death, the death of Jesus Christ. And there is power in the death of Jesus Christ. Have you experienced the power? The, the cross releases the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for our deliverance. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced it? Then the proclamation of his cross. Have you actually heard the gospel before? If you have not heard it, are you hearing it tonight? And if you have heard it, are you preaching and proclaiming this word of his cross? Reconciling men back to God. The offense of the cross. Are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed? Are you suffering from the offense? And are you unable to stick your neck out and glory in that cross? We would like to pray on these few uh, issues tonight before tomorrow we will now apply these things to us. If you shall be on your feet, I would like us to enter into some two minutes or three minutes time to pray together. I don't know how God has spoken to you tonight. We are looking at take up your cross daily and we look tonight at what does the cross mean before we look at how do we apply it to ourselves. And we have looked at five issues. First, the cross is not what people are talking about as carrying some ornament and some things. But the cross is the power of God. The cross has an effect. And we've looked at four aspects of that. Actually five. The death of Christ on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. The word of preaching the gospel and the offense of the cross and the glory in the cross, the boasting of the cross. Just talk to the Lord. Oh, I cherish the old ragged cross. I will cleave to the rugged cross. Oh, and as change it someday for a crown. So I cherish, so I cherish the old rugged cross. My trophies at last I lay down. Lay down every trophy for Jesus. I will cling to the old ragged cross. 
talk to the Lord. Have you understood the cross? Jesus died for you. He who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God took the sinless Jesus and poured into him all our sins. He is the mediator between God and man, the substitute, our redeemer, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is there any issue to bring it to him? Just carry it to him. Ask him to carry the burden. Say, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what the issues that are, are troubling you. I don't know what is giving you depression and anxiety and worry. Come unto Jesus. Carry it to him at Calvary. Is right here tonight. As the word of God has come unto you, don't struggle anymore. Carry it to Jesus. He's a burden bearer. He's a scapegoat. He carried our sins. He came to deliver us from the power of Satan. Say, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Satan has lost it. He's been bruised already. You can no more struggle. Just ask Jesus. Ask him for deliverance. Ask him for your salvation. Ask him for deliverance from sin and the power of sin. Ask him for total freedom and liberty. You can no more serve Satan and serve the world and serve God. You cannot be lukewarm anymore here and there. Are you somebody who loves this world and the things of this world? the love of the Father is not in you. If you have experienced the cross, you are totally sold out for Jesus. You are totally living and the world is dead to you and you are dead to the world. You don't care about the fashions of this world. Will you call on Jesus? Say, Lord, help me. Everyone knows what he's dealing with. He will meet you at the point of your need. Come unto him. The blood is still efficacious. It speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood speaks forgiveness. Are there issues to confess? Anyone that covers his sins shall not prosper. He who confesses to the Lord Jesus and forsakes shall obtain mercy. Oh, there's forgiveness of sin even tonight. Whatever you have done that looks so unforgivable, even if you have shed blood, even if you have committed abortion, even if you are committing adultery, even if you are sleeping with somebody's husband or somebody's wife. See, just last week I was talking to a student, 19-year-old girl, and there's a 47-year-old man who has left the wife and has come to this campus of the university and he called this student and said, I will make you happy. I will give you enjoyment, enjoyment. I will take you as my valentine. And I'm willing to give you a phone, I'm willing to give you money, I'm willing to pay your school fees. And this is somebody who is like the daughter. And this man is married and has left the wife home and committing adultery. Unfortunately, he goes to church. Is there a Christian who is struggling with immorality? Who is struggling with pornography? Your phone is, is becoming a problem for you. You have subscribed to some websites that are now sending you nude, 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 nude things. Will you call on the name of the Savior and say, Lord, deliver me from this body of death. What wretched man that I am. 
Why can I be in church and still struggle with such mundane things? Will you call on the name of the Lord? Are you struggling with the issues of unfaithfulness? Are you a Christian who is engaged in some duplicity and dubious deals in the office? Paying bribe or collecting bribe or, or adding figures and things. Will you ask God, say, Lord, I am. You are the one that gives the ability to make wealth and ask no sorrow. Confess and call on the name of the Lord. He is ready to forgive. His blood will cleanse and make you as white as snow. Oh, Father, we bless you. Oh, Father, we bless you. Jesus, me near the cross. Just fountain free to all the healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain in the cross The cross be my glory ever till my wrath the soul shall find rest beyond the some will enter the rest. Even though the work is finished before the foundation of the world, even though Christ has done it, it remains that some will enter into rest. Are you here or are you online and say, I need rest? All ye that labor and are heavy laden, whatever is causing you worry, depression, anxiety, whatever is standing between you, your soul and your Savior, Will you raise your right hand and say, Lord Jesus, I need rest. Rest beyond the river. I want to glory in the cross. Lord, hear my cry. Wherever you are, I'd like to pray. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister. Just talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, I need rest. Don't be ashamed. There's no shame in this. He himself in the days of his flesh, he cried unto him who is able to deliver. And he delivered him. You don't need to cover issues that are going to stand between your soul and God. Who are likely to send you to the outer darkness. Say, Lord, give me rest. 
come into my situation. I need deliverance. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need your salvation. I've heard the gospel. I want to experience the power of deliverance. Total deliverance from self, from sin, from the world, from Satan. I'll call senior pastor to pray for such people and lead them unto the throne of grace that the Lord will visit them.